Welcome to Ports of Praise Online. This is a message from Pastor Clay Williams on the mental attributes of God. Tonight we'll be focusing on knowledge from his series on doctrine. Um, If we will, as has been our custom, let us read together an affirmation of faith. Now for some of you, as you're sitting here, you've been a part of a charismatic church for so long, or a non-traditional church for so long, uh, to read something together really seems foreign to you. Well, it seemed very foreign to me when I went to Dallas because we didn't do it. Uh, I had not ever done that or remembered participating in that. But one of the good things that when you come together and you read something together is you are stating together your core values and your core beliefs. And so, uh, anyway, traditional church has always done it. This may seem to be somewhat liturgical, but uh, there are some things that are good about, uh, about liturgy, and I believe this is one of them. So, if you would, uh, before we begin tonight, let's, if you would, let's read this together, um, and uh, we'll start from the top. You ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. How many of you thank God for the forgiveness of sins? How many of you thank God that there will one day be a resurrection of the body? Alright? And uh, I, I think, you know, and every time I read that one part, I remember that someone asked a question about what it means to be the judge of the quick and the dead. And Dad made the comment about those that are really fast. <laughs> and every time I read that, I think of that. Um, so, uh, of course, when we talked about last week, mental attributes, we said there were three. We said there was knowledge, okay, wisdom, and then truthfulness and, and faithfulness. You can put the two of those together. Uh, but tonight, as I said just a few minutes ago, we're going to camp out on the knowledge of God. Now, um, so, let's start with a definition, okay? The definition is as follows. Uh, God fully knows Himself and all things actual and possible. Now, every word in this definition is important, okay? God fully knows Himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Okay. Now we're going to break it down. But before we do so, let's pray. Father, I do come to You tonight asking for Your grace, asking, Lord, that Your strength would be made known. Father, where I'm weak, Lord, where uh, I lack understanding, I would ask that You by Your Spirit would come and, and would help to facilitate a greater understanding of who you are. 
Father, it's our goal tonight. It is our desire tonight to better know you. So, Lord, we say we love you and we embrace you. We embrace your word. Make it alive within our spirits. We just pray that right now. Make your word alive within our spirits, O oh God. Stir up your word within our hearts. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. All right. So, um, so we're going to talk first off about the fact that God fully knows Himself. Now, let me say this. I, I think that it's very important to understand that God fully knows Himself. What is, what is so amazing about that? Well, we don't. We don't fully. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I make the comments, man, I don't even know myself, much less. You know? I mean, the wickedness sometimes that's in my own heart, the deceitfulness in my own heart. Uh, you know, I, I, and I don't even know my, we, I don't even know my own limits. You know, have you ever surprised yourself before? Wow, I didn't know I could do that. You know? And, uh, but yet God fully knows himself. Now think about this. We're finite creatures. In other words, we're limited. We can't, we, we can't do anything that we want to do. God can. He's all powerful. He's eternal. He's unchanging in all His ways. But yet, He fully knows Himself. He knows His limitless capabilities. And He knows His limitless knowledge. And, and I think that's just amazing um, that, that God, who is infinite, would know Himself. Um, now, you know, I've got a lot of Scriptures tonight, and I'm going to take you, we're going to go somewhere, and... Uh, one of the places that we're going to go, um, we're going to. It is going to require us to discuss current trends and current thoughts within the overall church in America and in the world. Okay, um, so I plan on tweaking you a little bit tonight to get you to think about this issue of God's knowledge. Um, so, if you will, we're going to look at these scriptures. Uh, we're going to start off 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and just, just give you some background to, to some of this about how God fully knows Himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says this, uh, These things um, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. So, you know, the only one that can understand God is God. We can't understand God. Now, this may not be in slide order tonight, um, but I want to, let me just get off by saying this. There is a great challenge Let's do this. Let's just let, let me just move forward for a minute, if I can. Uh, I'll go back to that slide. But um, there, there are some challenges to the knowledge of God. Um, you know, what are some of these challenges? Uh, well, challenges to understanding the knowledge of God is really what I mean. Um, but but first one is is bad hermeneutics. Now. I'm going to give you some terms tonight that you may not understand, but, I, but I'm going to explain them to you. 
uh, hermeneutics is basically your ability to understand and interpret Scripture, read the Bible and understand it, make it plain. Okay? That's what hermeneutics means. Okay? And probably one of the greatest challenges to understanding the knowledge of God or understanding God is simply our bad hermeneutics. The fact that we use uh, poor Scripture translations. Uh, we, we study sometimes very poorly. Um, now, someone had asked a question in the cards. What about the Message Bible? Is it a good Bible to use? Let me say this. Um, there are uh, multiple Bibles out there, and there are very few that I would tell you do not buy. Okay? I would not buy a Bible that is gender neutral. I think the uh, the new, maybe the new Living Bible is like that. They've, there's a new NIV that's out um, that you, you've got to be careful of. I think it's called maybe a TNIV. I'm not, I'm not certain about that, but there's a couple of Bibles. You can just look. If they are gender neutral when it comes to God, don't buy it. Because God was gender specific, the words that they used. And here's the thing, when we talk about Scripture, one of the things that you'll understand about Scripture, all Scripture was God-breathed. So it's important that to get as close to the original language as you possibly can. Okay? Now, let's talk about the Message Bible just for a second since that was a question. The Message Bible is fine if you're going to read it as a devotional. In other words, you just want something to read that's light, that may be just, you know, it, it's something that you're just wanting to be encouraged in your spirit, that kind of thing. If you are trying to study the Bible, you do not need to use the Message Bible unless you've already used five or six other translations. Because it is not a word-for-word translation. It is called a paraphrase. So what that means is, is they're just trying to give you the overall idea of what the guy was trying to say, what the author was trying to say. So, so what would be an example of a literal translation? Um, my favorite translation um, is probably right now is the English Standard Version. I think it's a very literal translation. It's 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 very readable. Um, and uh, when we gave our deacons Bibles, when we installed them last year, we gave them ESVs. Um, my second favorite one uh, would be the New American Standard. Uh, I'm a big believer in the New American Standard. I love the New American Standard. Um, and then you know, and then after that, I would probably go New King James or King James, something like that. Um, and uh, but a little bit of that's preference, okay? Um, I just, I really, I get in there and I don't understand some of the King James words, you know, betwixt, betwaxed, betwuxed, you know, what, whatever. And uh, it, it, it's good to have those available to you to look at, to read, uh, lasciviousness. All right. Um, English Standard Version, uh, you know, the New American Standard does a very good job. So, um so I think one of the problems is probably poor scripture translation on part of people in the pew and, and, and also probably some pastors and lay people who try to teach and study. Okay. Um, reading into text. Here's, okay. Here we go. A great challenge 
that we have today is people read into texts what's not there. You've got to be very careful that you don't do that. But we do it a lot of times in the charismatic church because it's a revelation. Well, this is what the Lord gave me from this passage, and it means absolute, has absolutely nothing to do with what that passage is talking about. Okay? So, while I'm not trying to be hard or to be condemning, it's got to match what God originally intent, intended if it's going to be accurate. Okay? So, um, listen, you, it's very important. You need to understand the face value of the text. Okay? Here's some questions you could ask if you're reading. Um, let me just give you an example. When I, when I get ready to study for a, uh, let's say I'm getting ready to teach on uh, Ephesians, like we were teaching on Ephesians last year. One of the things that I do is I go through and I read the whole book of Ephesians. And I'll read it probably three or four times in its entirety before I even start with a specific text. The reason I do that is because Ephesians was a letter that was written to a specific church at a specific time with specific needs. I've got to get that in my head. I've got to understand that. And I've got to get, like, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, there were challenges and problems that Paul was dealing with. He was working with them on stuff. And so you've got to get into there and you've got to understand, okay, ah. Because it would just be, it would be like if... Uh, if Ryan comes in on the tail end of a conversation that Crystal and I are having and we mention his name, he could be he could misunderstand our conversation by not knowing the whole context of that conversation. So it's very important that we understand what the what the verse is trying to say. And you only know that by knowing what the book's trying to say. Okay? Um so, uh, this bottom one, So the first problem is really bad. The second one listed here is, is really bad as well. I think this is probably one of the greatest challenges of the contemporary church, is the improper worldview. Um, and here's the deal. Uh, I think that humanism has so permeated, infiltrated, hit every area, every level of society and the church today, that we are all somehow, some way, affected by it. Because here is the greatest challenge. We see the Bible... Now, this is, this is for our time. Now, if I was teaching 150 years ago, I probably wouldn't say that. It would have been something else or maybe 200 years ago. This is, this is now specific tonight, okay? So our challenge and problem a lot of times is we come to the Word with a wrong view or mindset. And so when we look to the Bible, we look to it as our solely personal Word, and I've hit on this before, that, that we're in a cocoon outside of life, 
So what I mean by that is, is all we want to see is what can I personally get out of this? How's this going to bless me? Sometimes God's not just really trying to tell you how He wants to bless you. He's trying to teach and instill character in you so that you can not just be blessed, but so that you can be a blessing. And see, I really think that's where God's calling us to. Is let's let's stop trying to... And, and you know what? We're, we're, you're, you guys are great people. You love Jesus. You love to serve and you love to help. But I'm, I'm talking about as a whole and as a model for our community. God is trying... I, I believe one of the things on my heart is that we need to serve. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Well, you know what? I would like to see us model that. By God's grace, I'd like to see me model that. Because I have my days that I don't want to serve too well. I know you wouldn't believe that, but I but I do. Um, and and I desire to be served. And so, but a lot of times we read the Bible with this mentality: How can we be served? And uh, uh, the the last little statement there says understanding through fleshly belief systems. Um, and what I meant by that is our own carnality, our own uh, lack of spirituality. Really, that word in 1 Corinthians 3, is talking about our lack of Christian spirituality, our lack of growth, our immaturity. People who are Christians and carnal are either one of two things. They're, people who are carnal are one of two things. They're either immature Christians, okay, who are in the process of growing, or they're not Christians at all. There's no separate class. They're either youngins that need to grow up or they're people that need to get saved. Okay. Alright. So, anyway. Um, you see, here, here's, the, here's the thing that we need to come into tonight. And I said at the beginning, and I asked, I think I specifically said something to Miss Julia and and I may have said something to Miss Joyce. I said something to a few people. And, and what I asked them to do, I said, be praying for me, please, as we're going through this, because we all have our belief systems. I mean, that, you know, I, I don't care if you're 16 or if you're, if you're 75. We all have our belief systems here in this room. And what happens is, is we many times become prideful and we become um, really reliant upon our belief systems. Why? Because it's got us this far. And so what happens is, is we want to trust in our belief systems, and we many times that's how we approach the Bible. We approach the Bible with, well, this is what I already believe, so when I read it, this is what I read into it. Now, it, it's very difficult for us to truly lay down all of our belief systems when we go to the Bible. But that is a goal. You should lay down and allow the Bible to shape you. See, the Bible needs to shape you. It, it should mold you. 
You know, if you if you hurt, if you remember before we ever came into this discussion on doctrine, one of the things that I said is, you know, my view over the last several years, my view of God has gotten considerably bigger. Well, that should tell you two things. That should tell you that, number one, I had an improper view of myself. I had an improper view of God, but I also had an improper view of myself. I think probably one of the greatest challenges in the church today is that we have an improper view of ourself. See, so look, I'm just, you see, I believe that, you know, we, we've talked a lot, and I've, I've mentioned this word a lot. Um, I've mentioned the word uh, sovereignty a lot. Okay? And everyone, I think, believes in some form or some level of sovereignty. I think the problem is, or the, or, or the challenge for us, is that many times, while we would say that God alone rules over all things, is independent, we want to see man ultimately as sovereign. That's the challenge. You see, that's humanism. You see, humanism says, I want to be autonomous. I want to self-ruled. That's what the word autonomous means. Auto meaning self or one. Nomos meaning rule or law. We want to rule or govern over ourselves. So, we get into a discussion about the knowledge of God and certain questions start to be, start to be, to come up in our mind. And so what I'd like for you to say is because I've heard questions and I've heard people start to ask and start to say in relationship to God's sovereignty, in relationship to the providence of God, I've heard people start to talk about free will. I've heard people start to talk about being able to make your own decision. But here's the thing. Ultimately, what you have to come down to is, is God sovereign and am I? Ultimately. And allow the Bible, not my belief system, not the belief system of someone else, but allow the Bible to form your belief system. That's why I'm trying to tell you, don't read into this. Listen. I'm going to tell you exactly the way I feel on some things when we get to it. And I'll tell you when I think it's opinion. But you need to be filtering the whole time anyway. Looking, searching the Scriptures, that's why I'm putting it out. That's why we're making these Scriptures available to you. To search the Scriptures. To understand, as noble Bereans, desiring to see what does God have. Now, um, so we're, we're going to move on and I'm going to talk about it. But I, I think the greatest challenge, though, is, you see, I believe that, that free will is a valid question. Okay? I believe it's a valid question. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about some questions in just a minute. Um, we're going to talk about questions such as, does the Lord really know everything? Uh, does God limit Himself as it pertains to His knowledge? Uh, does God plan the future? Does the Bible affirm, there's a teaching out there that's called open theism. Does the Bible affirm this teaching? Okay, so, but that's important. 
there are some key people within our community. I, I'm going to mention the person's name in just a minute. We have all probably read or have heard a sermon preached by his, from one of his books or read one of his books because he's a phenomenal writer. But he has he started getting off into open theism now. Um, and so what I would say is we got to draw back at this point until he gets that out and gets that right. Okay, so now, um, so that's just kind of where where I'm at. So so let's just go back for just a second. And let's talk about this. God knows all things actual. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, uh, verse. 13, what does it mean, what does actual mean? Actual means that it applies to all of creation. You see, God not only knows Himself, but He knows all of creation. It says that no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Um. Let me read you this. Psalms 147 says this about God's knowledge. It says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power, and His understanding has no limit. Okay? So as you're reading these Scriptures, you need to understand it. But then you need to ask yourselves, okay, what are the implications of this? If His understanding has no limit, then what does that mean? He knows all things. If he knows himself all, he knows creation. Let me let me just. Um, John and I were just talking about Job today. Um, how many times have you ever been in your life where you have really questioned God? You have questioned Him. You have questioned because it seems like everything in in the world is not going the way you want it, and so you question and you question and you question. We were even talking about some of this today. You question. You talk about and you know John when we were talking. I think it was today. Um, I said, you know, John, I said, but then all of a sudden, don't you, don't you kind of hate those moments? God shows up like he did in Job 37, 38, and he starts talking for three chapters. And basically what God said in Job, at the end of Job, God remained silent. Through all that Job went through, God remained silent. And finally, God shows up. And when God shows up, he says, okay, boy. And I told John this morning, I said, that's small b, small o, small y, boy. Okay? And God says, okay, son, sit down. Shut up. I'm thinking to talk. I'm tired of you whining. Here's one of the things he says. Do you know the balancing of the clouds? The wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Basically, what God says to him in about three chapters is, who do you think you are? If I wanted to, son, all I got to do is go, mm-hmm, and you're done. Paul said life's a vapor. God's a, Listen, folks, God's eternal. You know, and he knows. He's limited. He knows all things. Who are we? You know, that's why you perspective helps us. Listen, I, I've been through tough seasons. I've been through tough times. You know what gives me hope? I know the ending. Now, sometimes that don't help me too much right now in my experience of pain. 
But I do know that God ultimately is in control. And that ultimately, i got to remember that song that I learned back when I was in, you know, in little kiddie school, in Bible school, vacation Bible school, when they used to, he's got the whole, you know, come on, world. And it's, come on. All right, remember, he got the itty bitty babies, right? You remember that? Okay, he's got everything. And so ultimately, you got to remind yourself of that principle and that truth. Because even when it hurts, even when it doesn't feel right, he does. Um, so, First John 3 is another thing. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. <laughs> he knows everything. So, God knows creation. God knows all things that are possible. Now, what do I mean by that? And I put Matthew 11 up there. Um, all things possible means that God knows every possible situation and scenario that could ever happen. People always ask the question, well, you know, should I have, should I have become a... a, a peop- I, I used to trick college students a couple years ago. This was back before you got married. I used to trick our college students to come to this class. I said, okay, guys, next week we're going to talk about the will of God. And I'm going to be able to tell you from Scripture what is the will of God for your life. If you'll come next week, I will tell you the will of God for your life. If you're asking, come next week because you will know. Do you want to know? I'm going to tell you from Scripture the will of God for your life. I mean, they're stoked. They're excited. They're happy. They're ready to go. You know, whoo, I'm on, finally I get some clarity. It's what I've been praying for. But you see, what they're wanting to know is, should I be a baker? Should I be a physician? Should I be a housewife? Should I be this? And you know what God's concerned about? The Bible says this in Timothy. He says, know that this is the will of God. Basically, your sanctification, that you be holy like Him. The will of God is that you become like Him. That's the will of God. And guess what? It does not matter if you work on cars, if you clean windows for a living, if you're a housewife, if you're, you know, as long as you are in the process of growing and becoming like Him, you are smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Paul said that I've learned that if I've got money, I'm good. Bless God. I've learned when I'm broke, bless God. I've learned when I'm when I'm well and happy and whole, bless God. When I'm sick as a dog and want to die, bless God. Because I've had to learn to be content. It's the hardest lesson in the world to learn, but it is the will of God for your life. So, um, great passage of Scripture. Um, Matthew 11, let me read this before I go back. Uh, here's what it means that God knows all the possibilities. Jesus told, uh, told him in Matthew 11, He said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. And you, Capernaum, 
Will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So in other words, God's saying that if that Sodom didn't have to be destroyed. He saw it. He said, okay, I'm sending judgment. They're going to be judged. Abraham said, but Lord, if with 50 people? God said, okay. And we talked about this when we talked about God's unchangeableness. But here it is, what God is doing is He allows for interaction, but God knows all the possibilities. He knows, He knows, listen, 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 listen. He knows your friends' hearts. He knows where your sons and your daughters are. He knows what it's going to take. He knows. He, he, he sees all of And He is giving opportunities. He's presenting opportunities to people all the time. And He knows. Now, um, there's another passage that talks about, possib- uh, about possibilities. Um, in 1 Samuel 23... 11 through 13. I'll just let you read that if you wanted to write that down. Let me read to you a passage uh, out of Psalm 139. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. We're going to read verse 4, verse 16. It says, and by the way, uh, we, we clung, held on tightly to Psalm 139 when Ryan was born. Uh, When Ryan was born, had his issues with his heart, we wrote Psalm 139, 14 down. We wrote it up. On, we put it on a three by five card and taped it to his to his little ICU bed incubator, whatever he had. We taped it there, and every day we read it, we prayed it, and we believed it over him every day, uh, because it talks about the all powerful nature of God, and it talks about mm, it talks about how God knows what's going to happen. And so what we were doing is we were praying that the all-powerful person who God is would come and would form and change and move in our son's life. But we were also praying, God, you know all things. And you know what could happen. And Lord, if there is any possibility in you for there to be a change from death unto life, we speak life. And so, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In Your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God's already got a book, Your name on it. It is important for us to understand um, that God knows all things. Um, Because, as we're talking about, there are questions that we ask. Now, I've asked these questions just a second ago, but I want you to look at them. And, you know, if, if you haven't asked these questions yourself, then you have probably read about people asking these questions, or you've talked to people who ask these questions. If not, you probably live in a cocoon. <laughs> but I think most of us have been around folks 
Does does God really does He limit Himself? Does He plan the future? Um, and then then finally, there's a, and I'm going to address all of these questions with the last question. Um, with does the Bible affirm open theism? Um, because I want us to look at, if we can, I would like for us to look at open theism. Um, it is an attempt, and I put up there a rather bad one, um, at doing justice to the give and take uh, verses in Scripture between God and people. Um, you know, for example, Exodus 32, God wanted to destroy the Israelites. He said, with Moses, he said, Moses, I will raise up a nation from you. And Moses interceded. So the Bible says that God changed. In Isaiah, we see that God changed his mind. Okay? And so what these guys are trying to do is they're just trying to make sense of passages of Scripture. But I think the problem is, is they go too far. Um, they go too far because what they want to do is they, they want to excuse God's involvement in the calamity and the corruption that's in the world. That, that's really what they're trying to do. They're, they're wanting to excuse God's involvement or knowledge of something like 9-11. God couldn't have known that was going to happen. God couldn't have known that, that I was going to lose that baby. God couldn't have known that my child uh, was, was sick or, or was going to be. Because if God was... See, that's where you get into the kind of questions where they ask, is God loving? How can God be loving and just? How can He be a God of wrath and a God of love? You see, what happens is, is so because they cannot put the two together, you see, they can't, they, they, they can't believe. People that want to say, you know what, God is limited in His knowledge. The reason at the core of their being that they want to limit it is because they cannot see how God can be wrathful and merciful at the same time. And so they're simply trying to make sense of it. We've all tried to make sense of those issues. Most of us have. So I, I don't fault them. And so, so some of you, you know, when I talk to you about my view of God getting, bidding, getting bigger, um, you know, when I was in Bible school, I went to Beacon. It's a fairly conservative school. Um, but I had a professor that taught this, open theism. Uh, I, I'm, I've got all of these, th these guys who, who have wrote this type of stuff. I've read it. Um, I, I had to. And, uh, and, you know, there was some of it that had just some real convincing arguments. But the problem is, ultimately, there are some things that we can't understand. And so what, what we just have to take some things by faith and say, you know, because God, there's too many Scriptures. This is what I was talking about a minute ago. About you've got to allow Scripture to give you your doctrine of who God is. You can't allow your experience to dictate to you what you believe about God. Did you hear that? I really? Because you really need to hear that. You can't allow your experience to dictate to you what you believe about God. 
A lot of times, we'll have something that happens. It doesn't make sense with what we've always known or believed. So what happens is, is we go to the Word and we try to make sense of our experience from the Word. So, the challenge is, is, is you've got to seek the Word. Sometimes you've just got to be willing to say that maybe your experience or the way that you perceived what happened to you isn't right. Has anybody ever perceived an experience wrong? If you've been married or in a relationship for a while, you have, right? Well, I thought this is what happened. <laughs> nope, <laughs> that ain't what happened. Well, that can happen with us in our lives. So, uh, guys, this is very important. Um, so, uh, another thing that open theists try to say is that God is temporal. In other words, what that means, it doesn't mean He's temporary in a sense of... Um, I guess in a way it kind of does. What they're talking about is God in time. The fact that He is not above time. Remember, we, we drew that up on the board and we said that God is above time. And because God is above time, that means that He is Lord over time. But yet God acts in time and He will intervene in time. And He sees all time. See, all of these things. Do you notice that if you, do, if you believe that God limits His knowledge about what will happen, then you also have to change your view of God's eternality? His unchangeableness? Did you understand that? His powerfulness? All of that changes. If you, if you say God limits Himself in any way, what you're saying is, is that God does not know all things. And if God does not know all things, then He is not God. Because what we've done is we've tried to make Him in our image. So, and here's, here's why they say that He's temporal. In other words, that He is really in time. He is a God that is in time. Because He changes His mind. Because He's influenced by creatures. By His created being. He's influenced by us. Is what they're saying. Um, it says that uh, He must adjust His plans to the free choices of human beings. In other words, God's got this plan in mind. And He's got this purpose in mind. And He's going down the road and all of a sudden, a, a deer runs out in front of Him and God goes, Ah! <laughs> Slams on the brakes and said, I guess I'll change my purpose for their life. See, God's purposes are eternal. And just because something happens doesn't change the purpose of God. very important. That's almost one of those that's almost one of those times where you just have to sit and go say la for a second to let that sink in. And I'm going to give you just a, a passage or two in just a minute. Um but you you need to understand um that that God does interact. Um and, and this is how he interacts. Um so you know Augustine said this about the free will. Augustine said that man, he, he didn't like the term free will. I, I, I don't like it either. But he said that, there, that really man has uh, the ability of self-determination. In other words, when there, when there are things that happen, 
in your life, man can respond and make their cho- make his own choices to those situations. But to some extent, man is not man is not all knowing. Man does not know all of the options that are out there. So man has to be given options. That's why I pick on that song, I Found Jesus a lot. Jesus was never lost. You see, we were lost. So the the issue isn't can we not make a choice. See, I mean, that's not not even really up for discussion for me. I I mean, yeah, there are alternatives. I set before you life and death. Choose. Here it is. Choose. Unless he sets life before you, unless he sets, you know, unless you know there's death before you, God has to make you aware of the situation in front of you, because you're not, you're limited. We are limited in our knowledge. Okay, y'all following me so far? Okay, all right. Um, so here's this. Okay. Open theists believe all this, yes, but, 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 but. Mm, here we go. You see, human freedom is not indeterminate as open theists maintain. In other words, that it is, it is not open to whatever they want to do. We're not free to do anything and everything that we want to do simply because we don't know all there is to know about the options. Especially when you're lost. Right? Okay, so, we are free in that we do what we want to do, but behind our plans and desires are those of God. You see, God is at will and to work for His good pleasure. God is behind the scenes working. How many of you guys, you didn't all of a sudden one day wake up and go, hey, I heard somebody one day say something about Jesus. Let's try that. Or you never heard about Jesus and you said, hmm, in myself I'm hearing a word. No, there was something. There was someone praying for you. There was something. There was something in the plan of God to, to inspire, to stir the Holy Spirit moving and, and working in your heart. Um, so let, let's look at these. So God brings about... Um, so here's how we see God's sovereignty work with man. Um, God brings about natural events. Um, we're going to have to move quickly. Psalms chapter 65, verses 9 and 11. Psalms 65, 9 and 11. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. God brings water. God brings increase. God is the giver of seed. You see, so God brings about natural events. Um, we also see that God controls 
the smallest details of nature. Proverbs chapter six, uh, excuse me. Yes, Proverbs. I'm sorry, Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Matthew chapter 10, 29 and 30. It says, Are not two spare a soul for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrow. He knows the smallest details. Um, God governs human history. Um, Acts chapter 17 um, says that God rules and he, he orchestrates the times and the places in which we were born. Um, Isaiah 10 is another passage. Isaiah 14, um, we see that if, if someone, that, uh, you know, if, if accidents happen or unfortunate things happen, um, the Bible says in Exodus 21, verses 12 to 13, that the Lord lets it happen. A lot of times we want to discuss. We want see. I was talking. I was talking. Uh, I think maybe to dad or somebody earlier. And one of the things is, is a lot of times we ask questions and we really ask the wrong questions. We're wanting to know the intimate details of the knowledge of God that He has withheld for Himself, rather than saying, "Okay, what can I learn from this?" When tragedy happens in your life, you know we always want to know why, but really. But we'll never have some of those answers. So let's change our questions to say, okay, Lord, what can I learn from this? How can I trust you more fully? How can I believe you? How can I walk with you? What can you, Lord, what can you teach me in this process? I mean, isn't that really the most important thing? Because even as, 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 I have a friend who lost a child. Um, a couple years ago, and uh, the baby drowned in the swimming pool, and I cannot imagine uh, what they have been through. Um, I grieve for them. Uh, when when you know it, the other week it was their son's birthday, and I, I grieve for them, and uh, I I just I feel a lot of compassion toward them, but. Have you ever known people that have had tragedies in their life who failed to get over the why question? When you fail to get over the why question, what happens is, is you stay in that moment. Some people die in that moment asking why. When the question should be, God, help me through this and help me to learn through this. Help me to grow in spite of this. As hard as that would be. I don't even, that's one test I don't want to take. These things happen in the lives of people. How many of you have, have been around people, had wives or had maybe, maybe you or maybe you had friends who miscarried? For some women, that, that is an eventful, a tragic, event in their lives. And many times their questions, I, 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 I'm not saying try to ignore their questions, but try to turn their questions. Help them see the goodness of God in spite of and in the midst of the suffering. 
um, we see that uh, God does bring about um, decisions. See, God, if God's sovereign, He brings about... So that sounds kind of weird, don't it? God brings about human-free decisions. That's a, neat, that's a neat way to say it. God brings about humans' free decisions. Uh, Genesis 45, 5-8 with Joseph. Joseph said, you know, hey guys, don't worry about it. You threw me in this pit, but God put it in your heart to do it. Because in putting it in your heart to do it, now I can provide for the nation. Now that's interesting. Um, Luke, so that's Genesis 45. Luke 22. Um, we see it in the life of Jesus. Luke 22, verse 22. Jesus says, um, the Son of Man goes, listen to this, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he was betrayed. Now wait a second. It was the will of God. See, if we want to think our own thoughts, then we would say, well, God wouldn't tell somebody to do something and then judge them for doing it. That's what we would think. But yet God did that with Israel time and time again. He'd bring armies and nations in and say, go. And the Bible would say that God was coming to them. God would come to them, literally, in judgment through the Amalekites or through this other nation. And then God would judge them for their harshness with His people. Well, God, before the foundation of the world, saw Judas and determined He was going to betray him. Jesus says, woe to him who's betrayed who betrayed me, but it was the plan of God. But yet we struggle with that. So I, so I would say to you, think you, you can't hold a doctrine or a belief if there's something that's contrary. You've got to deal with it. Um, so you see that, that God is the source also of human faith. Um, let me, let me just. I'm gonna pull one other thing about how he, about free, about God's rulership over human decisions. Uh, Revelation. Look at this passage with me. Revelation 17, verse 17. Um, and I'm gonna try to draw this to a close. Um, it says that God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. What about the passage in Exodus where, God, where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? So here are times and places where God, you know, does things probably differently than we would. We see that He is the source of human faith. Um, I'm just going to give you a verse to look at. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. Um, John 6, 37. Uh, look that up. He's also the source of repentance. Zechariah 12, 10. Acts 5, 31. And in order to, 
try to bring us to a close. Ultimately, what we're saying about God's foreknowledge is, here, here's the thing. God knows all things. We've seen that in Psalms, uh, you know, Psalms 119. We saw this um, you know, in several other passages in Acts. We, we've seen how God works and how He moves. Here's the thing, folks. Um, God's in control. He works, um, I, I probably should be out, works out everything in conformity. This is Ephesians 1.11. In conformity to the purpose of His will. You see, and here's the thing. Here's something interesting about God is, you know, and I've heard you say this before, God, God's not in time and so He's not in a hurry. We want to be in a hurry. I mean, God, God put in the book, you know, 2,000 years ago, I'm coming to you quickly. 2,000 years later. God's not in a hurry to bring about His purposes. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. Well, wait a second. So before the earth was even formed, before God already, God already saw sin. So why did He create? You know, but God already saw it. And before He even formed and founded the world, He already had a plan for the sin of man. I don't understand it all, folks. I just know that that's what he said. So we see that he cannot fail at anything he seeks to do. Psalm 33, 11, Revelations 3. And, and then finally, if you'll look in these passages in Isaiah, um, one of the tests for an Old Testament prophet was that if they were to prophesy, if it was found untrue, then they were to be, they'd be stoned and, and they would be marked first and then stoned because that was the, you weren't supposed to be a false prophet because you were speaking the very words of God. Now, prophets today are not speaking the very words of God. The Bible says that, that we are to judge every word. Okay? So there's not the same level of accountability, but we also see in Isaiah 41. If, if you'll read that passage, God starts talking about these other gods and how they can't foresee the future and how the mark of being God is to be able to see the future. So that's the test. But how many times do we, because we want to hold to, we want to, hold to our tradition, we want to hold to our belief, we want to hold to what, what is familiar to us, Ultimately, what I'm saying is, is that wherever, wherever you go and whatever you, in your belief system and in your structure of your belief system, God has to be in control. It can't be me. It can't be other great, it can't be great teachers. Um, I, I want to read to you one more passage in closing, okay? It's from Colossians chapter 2. And if you have a, a King James uh, version it's going to it's going to put use a couple different words but listen to this uh, i'm going to back up I'm, I'm going to point out verse 23 but i'm going to back up to verse 20 and just read this to you if with christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? It's talking about laws. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now listen to this. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The King James Version says they are will worship. Will, W-I-L-L, worship. That's autonomy, folks. That's self-made religion. The greatest challenge in the church today is not, probably is, this, this would be my opinion, is that we put our knowledge above the knowledge of God. And if we disagree with something, well, we make up our own little doctrine to hold to because that, that really, it, it serves my purposes. It serves my agenda. It makes sense to me. One of the, one of the most tragic things that happens is when Christians don't know how to use this well. And so we listen to someone and we take in their belief system and we don't search the Scriptures. So Lord, it would be our prayer that You would help us to steer clear of will worship, self-made religion, and that God, that we would search for You, that we would seek after You, that we would desire You, And we would trust in you. And that we would realize that you are the one who is omniscient, who knows all things, and not us. So that we would, because Lord, if we begin to think, well, we know, or since God knows all things, then then why should I pray, or why should I evangelize, or why should I... Lord, we do those things because you've commanded us to and we don't know what you know. But Lord, we are convinced that if you've set the word, then our prayers won't be in vain. Because Lord, you've asked us to come alongside and to, and to offer up prayers and petitions and and, and, and thanksgiving and supplications before you. So, Lord, we will, out of obedience, pray for the lost. We will pray for our families, our friends. We will pray for healing because we believe that you heal today. We will not rely on our own strengths, but we will rely on your self-sufficient knowledge and power. And we say that you are mighty to save, You're mighty to heal all things. We love you, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that we come to you. Amen.